Hello and welcome to episode six of the Coaching Confidence Podcast. My name is David Bertelsall. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Now, the Coaching Confidence Podcast is a podcast run by you guys, the viewers, because the questions that come in, they're all questions which you guys on Instagram have asked me over the past week um, all about training, nutrition, mindset, confidence, masculinity, relationships, all that kind of stuff. And the way that this podcast is different from all the other podcasts is because of exactly that. You guys lead this, you lead the discussion, you lead where this goes. And it's so brilliant for me because it means that I can interact with you guys on a regular basis and answer your questions in a public forum, which allows other people to gain benefit from that as well. So thank you so much guys uh, for getting your questions in this week. I've got some amazing topics, got nine questions here written down, ready to go. Um, And if you are listening to this and want to get your questions answered live on the Coaching Confidence Podcast, then all you have to do is follow me on Instagram at david.bertwistle. That is where everyone gets their questions in. The day before this podcast is recorded live on Instagram, I put up on my story a little uh, question option so you guys can fill it in and get your questions answered. Now, normally the podcast is recorded on a Thursday evening at 630 because of a commitment I've got tomorrow, I am not able to make it. So uh, we're doing the podcast tonight instead, which means the questions got came in a, a little bit earlier than normal, but that's fine. No dramas. You guys know what to do and how to get involved. So thanks so much for listening to this, guys, again. Also, if you are listening to this on iTunes, please remember, just give it a five-star review. Be a legend. Show some love. Help me grow this community of people and reach more, and that will massively help. So from the bottom of my heart guys thank you so much for uh, for getting involved now um the way that this works is usually i'll break the questions down into topics well i'll have a topic of training on nutrition or on mindset okay they're the three general topics now before i get into that i want to just answer a quick question which doesn't really fit into that but it's a question that somebody asked um and so i feel like it would be Good to just kind of like get involved and um, and answer that one. Anyway, the question came in from actually one of my online coaching clients, uh, Pooja. She asked me if I could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Now, I've had the pleasure of going to multiple different cities and countries in the world, and I've seen some amazing places. South Africa, Cape Town is a beautiful city. Um, LA, I was there recently. That was also an amazing place. The, the country, the weather, the location, being on the beach, all that stuff's fantastic. Um, Croatia, Italy, all of these places in Europe are generally really beautiful places as well. But the one and only place that I've really ever been to that I could see myself living in is Australia, is Sydney. And the reason for that is that they've got the beach life. They've got beaches everywhere. There's the fact the weather is just sunny and beautiful most of the time i love that um it felt like home being that everyone speaks english there's you know familiar um companies and logos and brands and things like that that all seemed like really kind of familiar but i think that the main reason is that my brother lives there he emigrated um about 18 months ago and i miss the guy so much 
and um, and so they say that home is where the heart is and like my brother is like my best friend I miss him dearly so if I was ever going to move anywhere it would be to Sydney um, but I don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, someone just asked if, I've, if someone just asked if I've ever been to Japan, and no, actually, I have not. This is um, one of the countries that I would really like to go to. I'm a little bit nervous about going to Japan, though, only because the culture is so vastly different to anything that I've ever been to. The language. The, <laughs> the letters aren't even the same. I can't even guess what the words are because the letters are not even the normal Greek alphabet. Um, so I'm a little bit intimidated. I would like to go. I'd like to maybe go with a couple other people for like a week or 10 days or something like that and kind of see it because the culture of that place just amazes me. Uh, it's so different and I think that it would be a really challenging thing to do and I'd gain a lot from it. Um, I remember when I went to Thailand, that was an amazing place to go to to visit the culture and so Japan is definitely somewhere I'd like to go but at the moment, I don't actually have any plans to go there. Maybe in the future, we will see. But yeah, so anyway, a little bit about me just to get this um, all started. Now, the first question um, that we had come in is also from someone that has done it over the past um, 24 hours on my story so I can put that pin up there for you guys uh, so this came in from Mrs. Greyhound she wanted to know what about recovery to release muscles what do you do and recommend so although the phrasing of that's a little bit confusing um, I believe that what you're asking me is what do I personally do to help the recovery process and make sure that I'm not overtraining those kind of things first and foremost the most important thing that you can do to help recover your muscles is sleep. It is something that almost we kind of pride ourselves on in the UK is not getting enough sleep. Oh yeah, I was working so late last night and I only got like four hours sleep or yeah, I went out on, on Friday and then I was up early and went to the gym on Saturday and we kind of pride ourselves on not getting enough sleep, which actually is really counterproductive because actually sleep is just amazing. I don't know why people don't go to sleep more. <laughs> it's funny because when I was a kid, I'd always be like, mom, no, I don't want to go to bed yet. I want to stay up and like play and be with the adults. Whereas now I'm like 29. I, all I want to do is like, well, not all I want to do, but I really appreciate my bed at night and I'll get into bed and just like cuddle up in the duvet and I'm like oh this is lovely I love sleep and in the morning I'll like if I don't have to get out straight away I'll just like chill there for a bit and do some stuff in bed like bed's the best so yeah definitely the first and foremost thing is sleep they say eight hours right generally people say six to eight hours is what you need that's dependent on your workload. If you are someone that's got a lot on your plate, you're really busy or you're training lots or you've got a high stress job, things like that, then you're going to need to sleep more. Basically, your sleep is your recovery, is your main source of recovery. And if you are doing loads of stuff and you're really active and you're mentally and physically active, then you do, you do need to sleep more. Um, a lot of the time when people are overtrained, often it's not that they're overtraining, it's that they're under-recovering. Olympic athletes, CrossFit Games athletes, people that are training and performing at that really elite level, they are 
training like multiple times a day. You got to think if people are elite endurance athletes, then they're going to be running marathons every day. And if you compare that to the average person who is maybe hitting like three workouts a week, four workouts a week, and then getting symptoms of overtraining, then it's not that they're actually overtraining. What they are doing is under recovering relative to the stress that they're putting on their body. So the very best, most important thing that you can do is sleep. Um, hello from London, MW Donez. Thanks for saying hi. <laughs> the brilliance of Instagram Live. Someone can just throw a little comment up, say hi from a random place in the world. And this person said hi from Chicago. So hello straight back to you from London. So yeah, definitely the first thing you guys can do is make sure you're getting enough sleep. Um, I will sleep for roughly about eight hours a day. If it's been a big week and I've like had a big increase in my training, then that'll, that'll go up. <clears throat> Last week on, I can't remember what day it was, probably Friday, I think um, I slept for 10 and a half hours. And so uh, that was because I had a big training week last week. I wasn't used to it. And um, and so I needed to adapt and, and sleep more. So listen to your body. Also, we've just said Ethan and Jake saying hi from Waterloo and Milton Keynes respectively. What's up, lads? Thanks for joining me today. Great to have you guys here supporting this process. Um, so apart from sleeping, the other thing would be to make sure you're eating enough food. Um, that would be definitely the next thing because we rely on calories as our energy source. And so if we're not, <clears throat> if we're not getting enough calories, we're really going to struggle to repair our muscle tissues. Uh, we're going to really struggle to feel energetic because we've not got enough energy. So it seems really simple. It seems like obvious. Yeah. But sleeping and eating enough are the two best recovery protocols you can do. Don't worry about foam rolling. Don't worry about salt in your bath. Don't worry about micronutrient deficiencies. Don't worry about all these specific like types of stretching. If you're not eating enough and if you're not sleeping well enough, then the other things are going to be kind of not irrelevant, but they're definitely not anywhere near as important. All right, guys. So there we go. That is the first question done and dusted. Fantastic question there. Well done. Uh, we're going to go straight on to a nutrition-based question now. Um, this one does kind of cross over into the mindset side of things, but I thought I'd keep it with the nutrition because the question is, how do you fit healthy eating into a busy life? And that is going to be hard for me to answer personally being that I don't know who it is this specific person that asked this question but I'm going to give you kind of a general answer one that you can hopefully try and apply into your life because this is going to be really specific to the individual to what is going on but we can do some general things which will help everybody yeah so the very first thing you can do and it is kind of boring it's not sexy which <laughs> doesn't sell magazines or anything like that, but you need to be prepared, right? So if you're, a lot of the things that are easy in life when it comes to nutrition are not necessarily the healthiest. Um, if you, you know, if you're on the way to work and the, the shop that's on the way to your work is a McDonald's, then it's easy for you to just go in and grab a McDonald's every morning and have a McDonald's breakfast not necessarily going to be the most healthy choice. However, if there is a, um, I don't know, what's a fast food 
delicious and healthy place to get breakfast. But like, oh, let's say there's a pret on your way to work instead. Like you could go in, you could get a couple of boiled eggs, you could get some spinach and you could get some, um, some porridge on your way to work. That would be a healthy alternative. So what I'm trying to make the point of here is that <clears throat> you need to try and find something that is convenient to you. Um, <coughs> sorry guys, you need to find something that's convenient to you. So either you prepare food in advance on like a Sunday afternoon, you make um, certain foods that you know you can keep throughout the week. Like um, I suggested to make a frittata to one of my clients because you can make that, you can keep it in the fridge, you can just cut sections of it and have it there in your, in your fridge ready to go in the morning. That's a really good idea. But if there's something on the way to work that is convenient and easy and healthy, then you can just nip in and grab that. It's effectively trying to make your decisions easier. <coughs> Sorry guys, let's go a bit of water. Yeah. So that would be the first thing, making decisions ahead of time, preparing stuff and having it in the fridge. The second thing would be when you go shopping, make smart decisions at that point and don't go shopping hungry. So when you go shopping, you want to basically stock your house with foods which are going to be beneficial to you, foods that are going to be easy and quick and simple and healthy, or things that you can just rustle something up with. So always having like eggs and vegetables in the house is such a smart thing to do. Having some like chicken in the house is also really easy because then you can just like fry it up. A few like um, stir fry veggies in there and you've got a meal in literally like 10 minutes. Um, the other thing would be frozen veggies. You can just stick them in the freezer. They keep for ages throw them in the frying pan or throw them in the steam or throw them in the pot and you've got something cooking and, and literally like 15 minutes of, of prep and you're, and you're done. So that would be like my, my smartest thing. If you are really struggling with getting healthy solutions into your life, I think the very simplest thing you can do is just question what it is that you're trying to achieve. If you want to lose weight, you got to think, okay, what is the thing that is really stopping me the most from achieving this? And then ask yourself the question if it's important to keep it or if it's something you want to remove. I would definitely suggest like you've got to question yourself, question your goals, and then make decisions based on that and take action based on that. There's no like general well-rounded advice for making health into your life, except for you have to make the decision to make health a priority <clears throat> you have to choose to buy different foods you have to choose to be prepared you have to choose not to maybe drink multiple times a week but just like have a couple drinks on the weekend or you know more than a couple drinks on the weekend which is what i did on saturday <laughs> and was regretting it on sunday especially when i looked at my credit card statement from the night before <laughs> We've all done that, haven't we? We've gone out and we had a great time. I'm just like not given a care in the world. And then the next day, been like, oh my God, how did I spend that much money? Ugh. Anyway, had a fun night. <laughs> um, but yeah, I digress. So effectively, you've just got to look at what's important and make decisions based on that. Um, initially, it's not going to be easy. Whenever you make a change in your life, it is 
going to take some time for you to adjust to that change. But if you make small changes, then they will become easy to adapt to and then they will just become the norm. So don't try and take, don't try and do too much at once, but actually like take small decisions, apply them to your life regularly, implement them, and then they'll become the norm. They'll become easy and they'll change and replace that old habit. Cool. Um, I think that might have been a bit of a long-winded answer for what could have been a very answer, simple answer. <laughs> so I'm sorry. But anyway, live and learn. Live and learn, David. Now, um, the next one is a mindset topic. This this topic, um, <sighs> mindset is, it, it's, I get questions on all different types of things with regards to mindset. It's not always just like, how do you become more positive? But it can touch on many things, masculinity, motivation, confidence, relationships, all that kind of stuff. Basically all the stuff up here kind of fits into this topic. Now the first question that, <clears throat> the first question that I had come in, um, I think this is quite a tough question to answer. So, but I'm gonna give it a go. I'm gonna try my best. How can I build a sense of self-worth without external gratification? Quite a tough question to answer, if I'm being completely honest. Um, the way I see it is that your sense of self-worth generally comes from... <coughs> I don't know why I'm coughing so much tonight. I'm really sorry about this, guys. Haven't been coughing all day. Getting a bit of dry throat from talking to you guys. Um, so I kind of think that our sense of self-worth comes from accomplishment generally. When we do something and when we have an achievement, then we're like, oh, it gives us a little like pat on the back, a little <clears throat> shoulders back, chest up moment. And so having that, we can get it from a young age, we can get it from um, doing stuff when we're younger and, and getting that feedback loop and that can be great. But if we haven't had that or if it's stopped and we've lost that sense of self-worth, then I think the very first thing we can do is challenge ourselves to do something that we're not necessarily feeling really confident at. It might be a case of something really really simple like cooking a meal that you haven't cooked before <coughs> it might be a case of um talking to talking to your barista at the coffee shop i use this one quite often because i feel like it's a really simple thing that we can do which not many people um not many people do. Sorry for laughing. I just had a <laughs> comment come in and it made me laugh. Um, Ellie said, do you like your muffin buttered? And that just, that just made me laugh. That's a random little sentence. I wasn't expecting to read come up in the comment section. Thanks for putting me off. Ellie and Anna, much appreciated guys. <laughs> Um, so the point that I was trying to make is that when you're trying to create a sense of self-worth, it's important to challenge yourself. It could just be a small challenge, but to get that win, to get that thing that you've tried and you've, and you've accomplished it and then celebrating that accomplishment. I think it's such a shame that in adult life, we honestly don't celebrate our accomplishments enough. When we're younger, 
any fucking thing, you get a pat on the back and a high five. And like, it's like the biggest thing in the world. You know, you learn to use the toilet. Well done. It's like the biggest news. But when we get older, we have like massive milestones that we've worked towards that don't get that same sense of, well done, you took a shit in the toilet. And that's such a shame. So I think that what we need to do is massively celebrate the wins. When we do something, if it means something to us, we need to be proud of ourselves. And that doesn't mean like going around and like being that egotistical individual that tells everyone you're amazing. But like, it could just be like, oh, I did this thing. I'm really proud of myself for doing this thing. And like acknowledging that to ourselves. And then, you know, if there are people in our lives, it'd be a case of like bringing them them into the process. We don't have to do this alone. We don't have to try and do all these things one-on-one, but we can like bring other people in. So it's a case of like self-worth, confidence. They're all kind of interlinked, but we've got to challenge ourselves. It could just be small to start with, accomplish that thing, and then celebrate the fact that we've accomplished that thing. I think that's like a really important cycle because once you've accomplished it, then you're more likely to try something again that's maybe slightly harder, you know, and then you test yourself and you grow and you grow and you grow, and then you become more confident and you create this sense of self-worth without... um, without other people having to tell you you're amazing because I don't personally think that that will work in the long term. If we rely on people telling us that we're amazing for us to feel good, that's going to stop at some point. We're going to run out of people telling us that we're amazing. We need to have ourselves believe that we're amazing inside otherwise it just doesn't work because no one's going to believe in your dreams and your goals as much as you believe in them no one's going to care about your goals and your dreams as much as you care about them so if we rely on other people to feed into our ego and our confidence and that's the thing that we rely on we're never really going to get enough validation externally for that to be enough for life we have to provide our own confidence, our own energy. Yeah. Um, that was a tricky question to answer, if I'm completely honest. But just like answering that question, I kind of challenged myself to to do it. I may have butchered it, but at least now I've tried it. And then next time a question comes up that's kind of along this line, I'm going to feel more confident being that I've got this experience from doing this right now. So hopefully kind of me trying to answer that question has like kind of proven the idea in a way. Um, It was definitely not the most succinct answer. It was definitely not the best way of answering that question, but we've all got to start somewhere. We've all got to start the journey and the process and build from there. And um, we can't be perfect. We can't expect to jump in and just like be amazing at stuff. We all have to go through the journey and the process of getting better at things and failing and then learning from those mistakes. On to the next question. So this is a training based question. The question came in and said, classes versus traditional gym training, which is the best for getting results? 
Now I know that in London especially, and it's kind of filtering out across the world, the whole idea of doing classes is um, quite popular. It's something that's really blowing up over the past 10 years. The London boutique studio scene has erupted and <clears throat> it's definitely showing no signs of slowing down. But is it really the best way for you to train? There are definitely some benefits to it, absolutely hands down. Seeing more people go to these classes um, is just, uh, it's fantastic because at the end of the day, we all want to be happy. We all want to feel confident. We all want to feel good in how we look. And um, often adherence to the program is the most important thing. <clears throat> often it's, it's not, you know, I could write you a perfect program, but if you don't do it, it's not a perfect program. So what gym classes, uh, F45, Barry's Bootcamp, loads of all these other boutique classes have done is create this environment that people want to go to. And therefore, as a result, they're being more consistent with their training. <coughs> now, what that is doing is fantastic. It's getting more people moving. And so... For those people that wouldn't do the other stuff, wouldn't do the traditional gym training, it is considerably better. However, if we compare two people that are equally motivated and want to find the optimal way of training, and it's not a case of adherence to the program, but just which program would be better, I'd have to say that personally, the, the gym classes do leave an element unturned they do have something that's missing and the thing that's missing is that often it's not you don't have the ability to lift heavy enough weights consistently at these classes most gym classes are hit based because hit is the buzzword in the fitness industry at the moment it's the thing that sells because it's short you just kind of get in get it done get out it's kind of like it sells to the consumer because the consumer generally doesn't want to spend a lot of time in the gym. They don't want to have to think about what they're doing. They don't want to have to concentrate. They want a sense of achievement after every single session. They want to be around other people. They like the idea of being in an environment that's got loud music and it's dark and it's hyped and it's exciting and <clears throat> it's new and different. All of these things, lots of these classes kind of play into. And it helps to get people moving, but they don't really allow you to work on technique. They don't really allow you to focus on the exact movements or components of training that you need in order to get the most out of your training. They're not personalized. They're not periodized. They're often random. Um, <clears throat> and so in terms of progressive overload and periodization of training and personalization of training, they are not as optimal as something you could get from multiple different trainers. Like if you wanted a completely bespoke training program that you would follow, you'd get better results doing that than you would from going to any of the boutique fitness studios. You know, it's, it's kind of that simple. If you want an optimal training program, you need one that's personalized to you, that takes into account what you've done in the past, your current situation with um, any injuries, imbalances, weaknesses, what your goals are for the future, how often you can train, what your current fatigue state is, how much you're eating, what your weight and height is, what your like 
um, like gym facilities are, all these kind of things. And then you could create a program which would be perfect for that individual. <coughs> so if you look overall at someone that is equally motivated and will do whatever you tell them to do, then a traditional bespoke gym program would be considerably better than going to gym fitness classes. However, the type of people would generally go to those classes wouldn't do the traditional gym training, and so it is better than doing nothing <clears throat> most of the time. Unless you've seen my Barry's Bootcamp video on YouTube. <laughs> if you haven't, check it out. Uh, just search in YouTube, David Bertelsall, Barry's Bootcamp, and you'll have a laugh because that was a funny video. <laughs> Right, we are moving on to the next question. The next question is a nutrition topic and it comes in and says, can I still eat chocolate when I'm dieting? <sighs> yes. In short form, yeah. Depending on what diet you follow. Because if you choose to follow a diet like Weight Watchers, or Atkins, or Keto, or multiple other diets, to be honest, especially shake diets, meal replacement diets, anything like that, <clears throat> then no, you can't. But that's because they're a diet which has been constructed by a company to sell and make money. You can actually eat chocolate on a diet. If you understand that effectively chocolate is just a unit of energy, and if you're considering your diet as a energy balance, as like you've probably heard, as long as you're in a calorie deficit, i.e. an energy deficit, then you'll lose body fat. And you could effectively eat whatever you wanted to make up the, the foods that you ate. I mean, I wouldn't advise eating all chocolate all day, every day to make up your calories because you eat that amount of calories very quickly and you wouldn't feel very full. And you'd more than likely overeat but you can like I'm dieting at the moment and I have two sweet snacks every day they factor into my calories they make me feel good they're yummy they're sweet they're delicious I don't overeat they're considered and so you can definitely have chocolate when you diet as long as you understand that there's certain foods which are going to make it easier for you to stick to your diet and certain foods that are going to make it harder. <coughs> I don't know why I'm coughing so much. This is really strange. I'm really sorry about this, guys. <coughs> so there's certain foods, like I said, that make it easier. You know, high fiber, lean protein, complex carbohydrates, um, they're all foods which make it easy for you to not overeat because they make you feel fuller. <clears throat> they give you energy over a longer period of time. They are generally more weighty, as in you get less energy per 100 grams of those foods than you would with something like chocolate. Um, in 100 grams of dairy milk, you're getting roughly 520 or 530 calories. 
Gosh, what is going on? Whereas with broccoli, you are not getting 500 calories from 100 grams of broccoli. So in terms of like the energy density of those foods, you want to have when you're dieting foods which are generally not dense of energy. You want foods that have lots of weight that don't give you that many calories because you want to feel full on fewer calories because we need to have less calories coming in than are coming out, okay? So you can have chocolate, but if you're going to have 500 calories a day from chocolate and you're only eating 1,500 calories a day, that's a third of your energy coming in from chocolate. And I know from personal experience that I can eat 500 calories worth of chocolate in a very short amount of time and then an hour later I'll be hungry because I'll have been given that big energy spike of sugar and then when that comes crashing down my body's response is I want more energy so you can definitely include these foods into your diet you just have to be smart about how you do it having a small amount of your sweet treats is actually quite a good idea when you're dieting it and you should be able to factor that into your calories without having too much of an impact but if you want to be able to eat loads of it then it's not really going to work so my smartest advice to you guys would be include maybe like 10 to 15% of your calories from sweet treats or from foods you really, really like that you kind of crave if you don't have. <clears throat> Factor that into the amount of food that you eat each day. Factor that in and then you're probably not going to crave it as much because you know that you're going to get it. If I just tell you you can't have something, <clears throat> you're going to want it more you know and it'll build up and then over time you're gonna uh, get frustrated and then you're gonna want to just absolutely smash it off <coughs> i'm honestly not sick as well this is the strangest thing granted my throat's been feeling a little funny for the past couple of days but i haven't been coughing all day and i'm i think it's just because i'm talking to you guys so much so <clears throat> I'm just going to have to keep drinking water and hopefully it's going to settle down. But anyway, moving on to the next question. This one is a mindset question. It is a motivation question and it is, how can I be more motivated for life? That is a big question. <clears throat> it's a big question to ask, but I think that the answer is relatively simple I think that we overemphasize the importance of <coughs> I think we overemphasize the importance of having motivation <clears throat> I think that motivation has been hyped up because we've got YouTube videos with motivation workout chat and <clears throat> we're always told about how to be how to be motivated in my eyes motivation comes from achievement again it's like confidence and motivation are really like quite heavily linked but in order to be motivated you've got to really know what you want to get right? You've got to really know what it is. And that's most of the time what the problem is, is that people don't actually know what it is that they want. And they're not actually linking the thing that they potentially want with 
how they're going to feel when they get it. So if I said, if someone comes to me and they say, David, I want to lose weight. And I go, okay, cool. Why do you want to do that? <clears throat> they go, I want to feel better about myself. What's your motivation? Oh, I want to look better in a dress. I'm like, okay, cool. But like, why? Why do you want to do that? And then they go into like another reason why I want to feel better in my dress because I, <clears throat> my husband used to look at me in a certain way and I don't think he's looking at me in that way anymore. And I want to feel good and I want to feel confident in my relationship with my husband. That is a real reason. <clears throat> that links to a much deeper reason. And that is the motivation. The motivation isn't, I want to lose weight. That's not the reason. It's not the motivation. The motivation is I want to have a strong, healthy, happy, long-term relationship with my husband. That's the motivation. And when we become consciously aware of our motivation, then we're much more likely to be able to maintain what it is that we're doing. Because you're not going to wake up every day and be like, fuck yeah, today's a new day. I'm an amazingly motivated person. I'm outgoing. And I'm happy and I'm smiling all the time. And like, I'm just going to go and do this thing and it's going to be sick. Da, 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 da. That doesn't happen. That is not the way the world works. That's not the way people work. Like, I know I might come across as being like, all the time. But like, I have to be focused um, with the goals that I'm trying to achieve to stay motivated. <clears throat> if I don't have the the goals in place, if I don't have them written down, if I don't have the structure and like everything ready to go, then I, I'm not able to take action. And that leads me on to the most important thing. Once we have that goal, once we understand why we want it and why it is important to us, we have to take action. <clears throat> Sorry about that, guys. A little bit of a network interruption there. Anyway, so we have to take action because, like I said, your motivation isn't going to be there every day, but we need to kind of keep moving forwards. And all we have is like right now. We only have this moment right now. And so if we just keep taking small steps, small steps, small steps, then we're going to be constantly moving towards our goal. And that is going to keep reinforcing our motivation to do more and be better and keep moving forward. <clears throat> if we take action, then we're going to, over time, we'll start seeing results. And the results are going to make us feel more confident. And our confidence is going to be, bring motivation to us to do better. And every time we accomplish something, we're going to feel more motivated to do more and keep going forwards. And like everything, it's a snowball effect. We have to take that first step. We have to just move on a slow slog every single time. And then over time, we've just got to hope that that builds and it grows and we achieve stuff and that fuels our confidence and our confidence fuels our ambition and our ambition fuels our motivation. <coughs> and we keep moving forwards. You're not going to wake up motivated every day to be that hype person. You're going to wake up some days and you're going to feel completely demotivated. That's cool. But as long as you have your goal, <clears throat> your target, your aspiration, your belief, everything written down, you have why you want to achieve that thing and what it means to you written down as well. The real reason, like the deep, deep reason, then even when you're not feeling motivated, you're going to be reminded of that. And that is going to help you through those times of struggle. <clears throat> I'm sat here 
doing an Instagram live to currently five people. And I appreciate every single one of you guys. And I know that I can't expect to be doing it to thousands of people, like multiple other people, uh, influencers and fitness people. They could just flick on their live and they'll have thousands of people watching them do it. I remember um, being with um, my friend James Smith when he was doing his lives on Facebook and I'd see that he would be doing a a Facebook live to over a thousand people. And I'm sat here doing it to five. And I know that I've got to put in the time and I've got goals that I want to achieve. And this is what I've got to do and what I'm going to do to help grow this. Because I've got to put work in. I've got to put work in every single day to bring content to you guys, to help answer your questions, to help you guys move forward with what you're doing. And over time, after I've given and given and given and given, that's going to start coming back to me. And it's going to grow and it's going to develop and it's going to move forward. You know, I can't expect to be going live to a thousand people today. I haven't earned that right. I'm not at that point in my career yet. Hopefully one day. And if you're still watching this and I'm doing it, thank you. And let me know that you were watching this when I said this. But yeah, motivation. Make sure you've got that goal written down and remind yourself why you want to achieve it. That would be my biggest, biggest piece of advice on that. Now we're on to the last uh, line of questions on each of these topics. We've got three questions left. <clears throat> the, f- the first topic, the last question of this topic is training related. How hard should you be training to see results? Um, again, quite a broad question, guys. When you're getting these questions in, try to be as specific as possible. The more specificity that you guys bring to this, then the better I can answer that question. <clears throat> anyway, what we're going to say is if you want to get results, yes, you do need to train hard. If you guys follow me and are watching my stories, you'll see how I train. You'll see the state that I'm in at the end, the work that I put in. We don't have to go to the being sick end of the scale and passing out end of the scale and failing 1RM attempts end of the scale every single session. In fact, that's actually sometimes counterproductive because if we are underperforming, if we're under-recovering, then we're going to underperform. And often if we push ourselves to that limit all the time, then we're not going to be able to recover. However... Getting yourself to that point, I think is a very good thing to do. Because if you don't know where your end is, if you don't know where your 100% is, where your passing out is, where your being sick is, where you're failing your rep is, how are you gonna know how hard you need to push? Because generally in a in a session, we wanna be working between like 60 and 85, 90% of our capacity right if you don't know what your capacity is then how are you going to know where to gauge that and in my experience as a trainer and as a gym goer for the past 15 years 15 years 14 years most people don't know where that is most people don't know where their 100 is because most people have never come anywhere fucking close to finding out we all live in our comfort zone. We all live in like this, 
wonderful bubble of, oh, I feel like I'm doing something and I'm working harder than <clears throat> I normally do when I'm sat at a desk at work. And so this must be working out. <clears throat> I would I would honestly say that push, if either push yourself or get someone to push you to that point of literally not being able to do something. And when I say literally not being able to do something anymore, I don't mean giving up. I mean, your muscles stop working. Say for example, something as simple as doing a, um, <clears throat> a test on a bike, right? You could do this. You can get on a Watt bike, an assault bike, a echo bike, a concept two bike or a spin bike. And you can, if you go 100% for 45 seconds, and when I'm in 100%, I mean balls to the fucking wall, 100% for 45 seconds on any of that of those pieces of equipment, you will find out what your capacity is. You will find out what you're made of. Because if you did that on an assault bike for 45 seconds, your lungs wouldn't be able to keep up with the amount of oxygen that your muscles need and you would become very uncomfortable very quickly. If you did it on a Watt bike or on an Echo bike or on a Concept 2 bike, the, the lactate buildup in your quads would be so great in that short space of time because you've done 100% that you would quickly find out how that feels. And it would be a very good experience for you guys to do it. I've done it a few times from rugby training, from training in the gym. You, you know where your capacity is and your heart rate, and I'm wearing a heart rate monitor watch at the moment, is a really good sign for that as well. Your general maximum capacity heart rate <clears throat> is roughly 220 minus your age. So I'm 29, which means in theory, my max heart rate is 191. Uh, it's not always exactly like that, but you kind of get a rough ballpark. So if I get on one of those bikes and I go and I go and I go and I go and I go, then I'll hit that and it will suck, but I'll know what my capacity is and I'll then be able to best my intensity off that. <clears throat> so to answer the question, you should be training at roughly 60 to 85, 90% of your maximum intensity in each session. It's rare that you should go to 100% and more often than not, you wanna be sitting around that 80% mark consistently, because that's gonna be allowing you to consistently train and go in day in, day out and not become too overly fatigued. Most people don't train hard enough. Most people just wanna go in and like plod along and kind of tick a box and that's cool. But unfortunately, you're not gonna get great results if that's how you train. The, the, the be all and end all, the simplest answer to this question is if you don't train very hard, if you're not getting much out of it, if you're not sweating loads and really tired and like at some point lying on the floor <laughs> with like your arms out <laughs> like this, <laughs> then are you really training hard enough? 
you know it's it's something that you've got to question like you know i think realistically in our heads we know if we're not training hard enough we're kind of just like going in and ticking a box you know if you're looking at your phone in between sets and ending up spending three or four minutes resting because you're too busy fucking scrolling through instagram or like swiping right on tinder <clears throat> which as lads all of us only swipe right because we just go well it's a numbers game it's a numbers game swipe 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 swipe, swipe. if i swipe enough one of them's gonna like me and then maybe i'll be able to like message her and then maybe you know i can like go out on a date it's, it's a numbers game life apparently um <laughs> but yeah like we know we know if we're not working hard enough so basically i'm just gonna say to the vast majority of people overtraining doesn't really apply to you under recovering potentially does but not training fucking hard enough is the main thing there's a massive difference between the intensity that people train at in a CrossFit box comparatively to a conventional gym. And I can say that with confidence being that I train at both or have trained at a CrossFit box until about two a month ago, regularly train at a traditional gym and go to other studios in London all the time as well. And I see people coasting. You don't train hard enough as a general rule of thumb. So I'd say up the intensity fucking go for it and you'll feel better afterwards and then you've done yourself proud moving on to the last of the nutrition questions this one is um, related to cutting out macronutrients on your diet so it says why can't I just cut out carbs and lose fat in theory you can you can totally do it this um, you know if you want to go on and create a calorie deficit you can create a calorie deficit in multiple different ways one of them would be cutting out carbohydrates now i'd be i'm against this for a few different reasons i've done this in the past i've gone carb free when i've dieted in the past and it does work i'm not going to say it doesn't because it does you'll create a massive calorie deficit because most of you guys will probably be having about 30 to 40% of your calories come in from carbohydrates each day so if you cut that out you're going to be in a massive deficit um, the problem is that for most people it's an unsustainable deficit it's one that will create so much hunger so many cravings so many desires for food so much emotional baggage that it's not really worth it <clears throat> proper diets don't last 10 days 7 days or 2 weeks proper diets last 4 to 8 to 12 weeks and in that period of time, you'll be able to make big changes to your body, ones that are sustainable that you can keep afterwards as well. We're unfortunately bombarded in media and society by the idea that, you know, you can be able to lose so much weight or so many, like so much fat in a really short space of time. And although it is possible for most people, it is not the right way to go. You know, unless your life revolves around dieting, around stepping on stage as a bodybuilder, making weight in your sport or being an actor or a model that you don't have to go to a, like a regular job. For the people that do have to go to a regular job, you guys shouldn't be dieting like that. Um, I'm currently dieting at the moment and I'm on a rough 20% deficit and I know that I'm not eating as much as I have been eating, but I'm not getting cravings for food. As long as I get the meals in at the right times, I'm not hungry. I'm not having an issue with 
any of those side effects psychologically, emotionally, or physically, you know, that's fine. If you cut out carbs as, as like an idea around what to eat to lose body fat, then you're gonna struggle to maintain it for more than 10 days, two weeks. You're gonna get side effects, you're gonna struggle. So although you can do it, I wouldn't advise it. Instead, figure out how many calories you've been eating, and then from that point, just take away like 10, 15, 20%. You're not gonna have the same issues, you're not gonna have the same side effects, it's gonna be much more sustainable, and you'll be able to hold on to it, which means you'll be able to do it for longer, which means you'll get better results, and you won't have put your body through so much stress. It won't be the thing that's always on your mind. It's just something that you do while still doing the rest of your life. So yeah, I wouldn't really advise it, guys. Now, onto the last question. This is the last question that I've got recorded down here. It's a mindset question. Came in for a lad, from a lad, but I'm gonna try and talk about this from a um, male or female perspective. The question was, how can I get better talking to girls? I know there's loads of people out there that are going to want to be better at talking to people of the opposite sex. And I'm not saying that I've got all of the answers. I don't. I still get intimidated. I still get nervous. I still, like, muddle my words. I don't know if you can ever be perfect at this, but there's a few things that we can all do to be better at it, to make it a better, more engaging time. Now, I think that one of the traits which the vast majority of people would say that they look for in someone of the opposite sex is confidence. And one of the things that the vast majority of you guys, which chose to take part in the poll that I put up on my story yesterday, said that you would like more of is confidence. So everyone wants to be with someone who's confident, but everyone wants to be more confident. That doesn't seem to add up. So I feel like what we can do is work on that. Now, because the journey of becoming more confident isn't one that happens overnight, there's gonna be two approaches to this. Ones that can work kind of hand in hand, but also um, be aware that they they are different. So the first one is that to a certain degree, we, you know, faking it <laughs> helps, but not in the long term. Yeah. Like it's, <clears throat> we can fake confidence with people. We can literally just go up to them and just accept whatever happens, just talk. Just go, 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 go. And like fake being confident, just hype yourself up, go in there and just boom. You know, that is one way of doing it and it will potentially work in the short term. I've done it in the past when I've been feeling shit with myself. I've just gone and <clears throat> just got given zero fucks and that is one approach. Um, but it's a short-term approach and it's not a long-term approach. The long-term approach is to actually become a more confident person. And <clears throat> it's something that we all really all want to do. I think it was like 95% of you said that you'd like to become more confident. And um, that's kind of the part of this. The reason I've called this the Coaching Confidence Podcast is that 
The whole reason is that I personally believe that confidence is coachable. It's something we can all learn to do and be, and it can be us. And it comes from knowledge, first and foremost, knowing stuff and opening our mind to things helps us become more confident. Knowledge, achievement, and repetition. They're the things, right? So the first part of knowledge, which I think really, really helps, is we have to know who we are. We have to know, understand, accept, and believe who we are. Because when we doubt who we are, like when we're not sure or when we... um, when we kind of worry about who we are and we haven't really like come to terms with who we are, then that comes out in how we communicate with other people. Like we all have flaws, that's fine. We all have our own quirks and that's fine as well. And we can't be other people, right? When I say that, it sounds like silly that we have to state that but we can't be other people we might look up to other people and i know when i was younger i'd look up to people and i'd want to emulate them i'd em- try and emulate their behavior their wording their way of doing stuff how they wore their shoes like where they shopped all those kind of things i'd be looking to try and emulate somebody else because i thought that was what cool was and that's what was was attractive and all those kind of things and I didn't actually like think about myself and who I am and like becoming confident is about accepting who we are and like if you do a funny thing like you've got a funny laugh and you're like insecure of your laugh because other people don't have that laugh then (laughs) owning that fucking laugh is is part and parcel of this process. Knowing your strengths, knowing the things that make you a fucking awesome person, and then knowing your weaknesses and accepting those weaknesses. No one's perfect. Literally no one is perfect. We actually can't believe that anyone is. And so that's the very first thing. We've got to own who we are. We've got to know exactly who we are and own that shit. The second thing is chill the fuck out (laughs) don't even worry about it holding that tension that is noticeable when we engage with people we have to literally just try and relax i know that can be really stressful sometimes for people is to try and relax and but it will really help and i found that (sighs) closing my eyes taking a deep breath it helps me to relax you can literally hear it in my voice right now this changed So try and do that. If you are going to go meet someone, just take a deep breath. And the last thing, I wrote it down here. So I wanted to make sure you guys, I said it, is accept failure. Failure is part and parcel of the process. We are going to fail. We're going to fail at multiple things. And that's fine. It's totally acceptable and it's absolutely okay. I've asked out plenty of girls and plenty of them have said no. Like I would say my success rate is pretty poor, to be honest. (coughs) But if you never try, you'll never know. If you never fail, you will never grow. Now, 
Instagram is telling me I've got roughly 34 seconds left on this Instagram live tonight. So I'm gonna have to wrap this up really quickly and say a massive thank you to every single one of you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Thank you so much for listening to this on iTunes or Spotify or Anchor or any of those things. If you want to get involved, Instagram at david.burl so you can get your questions in. DM me or reply to my stories. I've got eight seconds to go. Guys, thank you so much for coming in. My name is David Burtlesall. Have an amazing evening. I'll see you all soon. Goodbye.